0: Chapter Four of the Crucifixion of Philip Strong by Charles Monroe Sheldon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by David Gore. Chapter Four. Pursuing the plan he had originally mapped out when he came to Milton, he spent much of his time in the afternoons studying the social and civic life of the town, as the first Sunday of the next month drew near. When he was to speak again on the attitude of Christ to some aspect of modern society, he determined to select the saloon as one of the prominent features of modern life that would naturally be noticed by Christ, and doubtless be denounced by Him as a great evil. In his study of the saloon question, he did a thing which he had never done before, and then only after very much deliberation and prayer he went into the saloons themselves on different occasions he had never done such a thing before he wanted to know from actual knowledge what sort of places the saloons were what he saw after a dozen visits to as many different groggeries added fuel to the flame of indignation that burned already hot in him the sight of the vast army of men turning into beasts in these dens created in him a loathing and a hatred of the whole iniquitous institution that language failed to express he wondered with unspeakable astonishment in his soul that a civilized community in the nineteenth century would tolerate for one moment the public sale of an article that led on the confession of society itself to countless crimes against the law of the land and of god his indignant astonishment deepened yet more if that were possible when he found that the license of five hundred dollars a year for each saloon was used by the town to support the public school system that to philip's mind was an awful sarcasm on christian civilization it seemed to him like selling a man poison according to law and then taking the money from the sale to help the widow to purchase mourning it was full as ghastly as that would be he went to see some of the other ministers hoping to unite them in a combined attack on the saloon power it seemed to him that if the church as a whole entered the crusade against the saloon It could be driven out even from Milton, where it had been so long established. To his surprise, he found the other churches unwilling to unite in a public battle against the whiskey men. Several of the ministers openly defended license as the only practicable method of dealing with the saloon. All of them confessed it was evil, and only evil, but under the circumstances thought it would do little good to agitate the subject. Philip came away from several interviews with the ministers, sad and sick at heart. He approached several of the prominent men in the town, hoping to enlist some of them in the fight against the Rum Power. Here he met with an unexpected opposition, coming in a form he had not anticipated. One prominent citizen said, mr strong you will ruin your chances here if you attack the saloons in this savage manner and i'll tell you why the whiskey men hold a tremendous influence in milton on the matter of political power the city election comes off the middle of next month the men up for office are dependent for election on the votes of the saloon men and their following "'You will cut your head off, sure, if you come out against them in public. "'Why, there's Mr. So-and-so, and so so on,' and he named a half-dozen men, "'in your church, who are up for office in the coming election. "'They can't be elected without the votes of the rummies, and they know it. "'Better steer clear of it, Mr. Strong. "'The saloon has been a regular thing in Milton for over fifty years.' it is as much a part of the town as the churches or schools and i tell you it is a power what cried philip in unbounded astonishment do you tell me you a leading citizen of this town of fifty thousand infinite souls that the saloon power has its grip to this extent on the civic and social life of the place AND YOU ARE WILLING TO SIT DOWN AND LET THIS DEVIL OF CRIME AND RUIN THROTTLE YOU AND NOT RAISE A FINGER TO EXPEL THE MONSTER? IS IT POSSIBLE? IT IS NOT CHRISTIAN AMERICA THAT SUCH A STATE OF AFFAIRS IN OUR POLITICAL LIFE SHOULD BE ENDURED. NEVERTHELESS, REPLIED THE BUSINESSMAN, THESE ARE THE FACTS. AND YOU WILL SIMPLY DASH YOUR OWN LIFE AGAINST A WALL OF SOLID ROCK IF YOU TRY TO FIGHT THIS EVIL. YOU HAVE MY WARNING. MAY I NOT ALSO HAVE YOUR HELP, CRIED PHILIP, HUNGRY OF SOUL FOR CHAMPIONSHIP IN THE STRUGGLE WHICH HE SAW WAS COMING. IT WOULD RUIN MY BUSINESS TO COME OUT AGAINST THE SALOON, REPLIED THE MAN, FRANKLY. AND WHAT IS THAT, CRIED PHILIP, EARNESTLY. IT HAS ALREADY RUINED FAR MORE THAN OUGHT TO BE DEAR TO YOU. MAN, MAN, WHAT ARE YOUR MONEY AND BUSINESS COMPARED WITH YOUR OWN FLESH AND BLOOD? DO YOU KNOW WHERE YOUR OWN SON WAS TWO NIGHTS AGO? IN ONE OF THE VILEST OF THE VILE HOLES IN THIS CITY, WHERE YOU, A FATHER, LICENSED TO ANOTHER MAN TO DESTROY THE LIFE OF YOUR OWN CHILD. I SAW HIM THERE MYSELF. "'and my heart ached for him and you. "'It is the necessary truth. "'Will you not join with me to wipe out this curse in society?' "'The merchant trembled, and his lips quivered at mention of his son. "'But he replied, "'I cannot do what you want, Mr. Strong, "'but you can count on my sympathy if you make the fight.' "'Philip finally went away, his soul tossed on a wave of mountain proportions and growing more and more crested with foam and wrath as the first sunday of the month drew near and he realized that the battle was one that he must wage single-handed in a town of fifty thousand people he was not so destitute of support as he thought There were many mothers' hearts in Milton that had ached and prayed in agony long years that the Almighty would come with His power and sweep the curse away. But Philip had not been long enough in Milton to know the entire sentiment of the people. He had so far touched only the church, through its representative pulpits and a few of the leading businessmen, and the result had been almost to convince him that very little help could be expected from the public generally. He was appalled to find out what a tremendous hold the whiskey men had on the business and politics of the place. It was a revelation to him of their power. The whole thing seemed to him like a travesty of free government and a terrible commentary on the boasted Christianity of the century. So when he walked into the pulpit the first Sunday of the month, he felt his message burning in his heart and on his lips as never before. It seemed beyond all question that if Christ was pastor of Calvary Church, he would speak out in plain denunciation of the whiskey power. And so, after the opening part of the service, Philip rose to speak facing an immense audience that overflowed the galleries and invaded the choir and even sat upon the pulpit platform. Such a crowd had never been seen in Calvary Church before. Philip had not announced his subject, but there was an expectation on the part of many that he was going to denounce the saloon. In the two months that he had been preaching in Milton, he had attracted great attention. His audience this morning represented a great many different kinds of people. Some came out of curiosity. Others came because the crowd was going that way. So it happened that Philip faced a truly representative audience of Milton people. As his eyes swept over the house, he saw four of the six members of his church who were up for office at the coming election in two weeks for an hour philip spoke as he had never spoken in all his life before his subject the cause it represented the immense audience the entire occasion caught him up in a genuine burst of eloquent fury and his sermon swept through the house like a prairie fire driven by a high gale At the close, he spoke of the power of the church compared with the saloon and showed how easily it could win the victory against any kind of evil if it were only united and determined. Men and women of Milton, fathers, mothers, and citizens, he said, this evil is one which cannot be driven out unless the Christian people of this place unite to condemn it and fight it regardless of results. It is too firmly established. It has its clutch on business, the municipal life, and even the church itself. It is a fact that the church in Milton has been afraid to take the right stand in this matter. Members of the churches have become involved in the terrible entanglement of the long-established rum power, Until today you witness a condition of affairs which ought to stir the righteous indignation of every citizen and father. What is it you are enduring? An institution which blasts with its poisonous breath every soul that enters it, which ruins young manhood, which kills more citizens in times of peace than the most bloody war ever slew in times of revolution an institution that has not one good thing to commend it, an institution that is established for the open and declared purpose of getting money from the people by the sale of stuff that creates criminals, an institution that robs the honest working man of his savings and looks with indifference on the tears of the wife, the sobs of the mother, An institution that never gives one cent of its enormous wealth to build churches, colleges, or homes for the needy. An institution that has the brand of the murderer, the harlot, the gambler, burned into it with the brand of the devil's own forging in the furnace of his hottest hell. This institution so rules and governs this town of Milton today that honest citizens tremble before it, Businessmen dare not oppose it for fear of losing money. Church members fawn before it in order to gain place in politics. And ministers of the gospel confront its hideous influence and say nothing. It is high time we faced this monster of iniquity and drove it out of the stronghold it has occupied so long." I wish you could have gone with me this past week and witnessed some of the sights I have seen. No, I retract that statement. I would not wish that any father or mother had the heartache that I have felt as I contemplated the ruins of young lives crumbling into the decay of premature debility, mocking the manhood that God gave them in the intoxicating curse of debauchery. What have I seen? o ye fathers o ye mothers do you know what is going on in this place of sixty saloons licensed by your own act and made legal by your own will you madam and you sir who have covenanted together in the fellowship and discipleship of the purest institution of god on earth WHO HAVE SAT HERE IN FRONT OF THIS PULPIT AND PARTAKEN OF THE EMBLEMS WHICH REMIND YOU OF YOUR REDEEMER? WHERE ARE YOUR SONS, YOUR BROTHERS, YOUR LOVERS, YOUR FRIENDS? THEY ARE NOT HERE THIS MORNING. THE CHURCH DOES NOT HAVE ANY HOLD ON THEM. THEY ARE GROWING UP TO DISREGARD THE DUTIES OF GOOD CITIZENSHIP they are walking down the broad avenue of destruction and what is this town doing to prevent it i have seen young men from what are called the best homes in this town reel in and out of gilded temples of evil oaths on their lips and passion in their looks and the cry of my soul has gone up to Almighty God, that the church and the home might combine their mighty force to drive the whiskey demon out of our municipal life, so that we might feel the curse of it again, nevermore. I speak to you today in the name of my Lord and Master it is impossible for me to believe that if christ of god were standing here this morning he would advise the licensing of this corruption as the most feasible or expedient method of dealing with it i cannot imagine him using the argument that the saloon must be licensed for the revenue that may be gained from it to support the school system I cannot imagine Christ taking any other position before the whiskey power than that of uncompromising condemnation. He would say that it was evil and only evil, and therefore to be opposed by every legal and moral restriction that society could rear against it. In his name, speaking as I believe he would speak if he were here this moment, I solemnly declare the necessity on the part of every disciple of Christ in every church in Milton of placing himself decidedly and persistently and at once in open battle against the saloon until it is destroyed, until its power in business, politics, and society is a thing of the past, until we have rid ourselves of the foul vapor which has so many years trailed its slimy folds through our homes and our schools. Citizens, Christians, church members, I call on you today to take up arms against the common foe of that we hold dear in church, home, and state i know there are honest business men who have long writhed in secret at the ignominy of the halter about their necks by which they have been led there are citizens who have the best interests of the community at heart who have hung their heads in shame of american politics seeing this brutal whiskey element dictating the government of the towns and parceling out their patronage and managing their funds and enormous stealings of the people's money i know there are church members who have felt in their hearts the deep shame of bowing the knee to this rum god in order to make advancement in political life AND I CALL ON ALL THESE TODAY TO RISE WITH ME AND BEGIN A FIGHT AGAINST THE ENTIRE SALOON BUSINESS AND WHISKEY RULE IN MILTON UNTIL BY THE HELP OF THE LORD OF HOSTS WE HAVE GOTTEN US THE VICTORY. MEN, WOMEN, BROTHERS, SISTERS IN THE GREAT FAMILY OF GOD ON EARTH, WILL YOU SIT TAMELY DOWN AND WORSHIP THE GREAT BEAST OF THIS COUNTRY? will you not rather gird your swords upon your thighs and go out to battle against this blasphemous philistine who has defied the armies of the living god i have spoken my message let us ask the wisdom and power of the divine to help us philip's prayer was almost painful in its intensity of feeling and expression the audience sat in deathly silence, and when he pronounced the Amen of the benediction, it was several moments before anyone stirred to leave the church. Philip went home completely exhausted. He had put into his sermon all of himself and had called up all his reserve power, a thing he was not often guilty of doing, and for which he condemned himself on this occasion but it was past, and he could not recall it. He was not concerned as to the results of his sermon. He had long believed that if he spoke the message God gave him, he was not to grow anxious over the outcome of it. But the people of Milton were deeply stirred by the address. They were not in the habit of hearing that kind of preaching. And what was more, the whiskey element was roused it was not in the habit of having its authority attacked in that bold, almost savage manner. For years its sway had been undisturbed. It had insolently established itself in power until even these citizens, who knew its thoroughly evil character, were deceived into the belief that nothing better than licensing it was possible. The idea that the saloon could be banished removed, driven out altogether, had never before been advocated in Milton. The conviction that whether it could be or ought to be suppressed had never gained ground with any number of people. They had endured it as a necessary evil. Philip's sermon, therefore, fell something like a bomb into the whiskey camp. Before night, the report of the sermon had spread all over the town. The saloon men were enraged. Ordinarily, they would have paid no attention to anything a church or preacher might say or do, but Philip spoke from the pulpit of the largest church in Milton. The whiskey men knew that if the large churches should all unite to fight them, they would make it very uncomfortable for them, and in the end, probably drive them out. Philip went home that Sunday night after the evening service with several bitter enemies. The whiskey men contributed one element. Some of his own church members made up another. He had struck again at the same sore spot which he had wounded the month before. In his attack on the saloon as an institution, he had again necessarily condemned all those members of his church who rented property to the whiskey element again as a month ago these property holders went from the hearing of the sermon angry that they as well as the saloon power were under indictment as philip entered on the week's work after that eventful sermon he began to feel the pressure of public feeling against him he began to realize the bitterness of championing a just cause alone he felt the burden of the community sin in the matter and more than once he felt obliged to come in from his parish work and go up into his study there to commune with his father. He was growing old very fast in these first few weeks in his new parish. Tuesday evening of that week, Philip had been writing a little while in his study where he had gone immediately after supper it was nearly eight o'clock when he happened to remember that he had promised a sick child in the home of one of his parishioners that he would come and see him that very day he came downstairs put on his hat and overcoat and told his wife where he was going it's not far i shall be back in about a half an hour sarah he went out and his wife held the door open until he was down the steps she was just on the point of shutting the door as he started down the sidewalk when a sharp report rang out close by she screamed and flung the door open again as by the light of the street lamp she saw philip stagger and then leap into the street toward an elm tree which grew almost opposite the parsonage when he was about in the middle of the street she was horrified to see a man step out boldly from behind the tree raise a gun and deliberately fire at Philip again. This time Philip fell and did not rise. His tall form lay where the rays of the street lamp shone on it, and he had fallen so that as his arms stretched out there, he made the figure of a huge and prostrate cross. End of chapter 4 Recording by David Gore